Hello, and welcome to this week's bonus episode of Lit Service, where we are fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin. And I am John. This is my little brother, John, who has a degree in linguistics, a master's degree, actually. He is a master of conlang, which I'm probably mispronouncing because I've only ever seen it written before. Please correct me, John. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, a conling, a constructed language. I don't know that I call myself a master, uh, more of like a dabbler. But then again, there are very few who do it professionally. So conlinging is an art form. So so why don't you tell us a little bit more about conlang? You already said it's a constructed language, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. Oh, of course. So a conlang, a constructed language, like I mentioned, it's basically a language that you construct. Very simple, right? And this is often used in, well, not that often, but it is used in science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction in general, when you want to do like an extra layer of world building and build a language for the people in your fictional world to speak. And it, you may not be aware of this, but in a lot of speculative fiction, you already do this. Because uh, unless you're setting your story in some variant of our world, the characters probably don't speak English anyway. And you're using English as kind of to represent the language that they are speaking. Tolkien does this actually with The Lord of the Rings. And the title page, you'll notice that there's um, text at the top and the bottom. I believe, I can't remember if it's in Kurth or Tangwar, but it says, if you were to translate it, uh, that it is an account of the War of the Ring from the perspective of the Hobbits translated out of the Red Book of Westmarch by John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Uh, oh, lovely. Paraphrasing it, but essentially he, he is portraying The Lord of the Rings as as if it were a translated text. And that's why I also want to stress that this is a really cool thing you can do for world building to have this whole language element, but it is not necessary. It, it, you don't have to do it. Uh, a lot of fantasy worlds will have people speak common or vulgar or galactic basic, where that basically is English, is the stand-in for whatever language they're speaking, and that works totally fine. But it can give you the opportunity to add that extra layer of depth, like you can have untranslated text and have that be mysterious, or your characters encounter a new civilization or something along those lines, and they can't understand what they're saying. Um, it can help flesh out cultures, attitudes, and beliefs in your world. For instance, I'm working on a story where Latin and French gets mixed with a strange otherworldly language that the Latin and French speakers believe to be the language of hell, the opposite of Latin, nice. which is the language of heaven. They, they don't have grammatical gender in this language like they do in Latin. Not coincidentally, the speakers of this language don't conceive of gender in the same ways. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds of like the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis and how that's not actually how language works, strictly speaking, but there is linguistic relativism. That's a whole thing entirely, but that is a conlang basically. And that's why you would do it if you felt so inclined. Well, that's a really interesting point, actually, because um, the language of a world says a whole lot about the culture and the history of a world too. I mean, even English is an interesting pidgin language of French and German and lots of other things. And it, it tells you a lot about the history of us. You could probably say a lot John is, if you do not have the benefit of the video feed right now, just shaking his head at me. But um, uh, there, there's some nuance there. But oh, anyway. absolutely, there is. But there are fun things like, uh, I mean, I think the uneducated, those of us who are uneducated go straight to the like, the different words for animals in French and English, like the, the ones with French basis versus... I'm not even using the right terminology here, but you can tell who was high class versus low class based on words that they used. You could say this in a much nicer way than I could, John, I'm sure. Oh, no. Well, I mean, you're on the. When you talk about the class difference, that's a cool thing you can also do with languages where you have a conquering people come in. Uh, in this case, with with English, you had the Normans come in and conquer the the Saxons, and that was a whole fun thing that happened. And consequently, the upper classes uh, would speak what we call Anglo-Norman, which is that combination of like Norman French and Anglo-Saxon. Um, the, 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 
I understand that the common people didn't really speak it too much. Um, anyway. Isn't that why the word for beef is the same as, or is definitely from French versus like pig or maybe not pig, but other ones. I'm just making myself sound stupid here, but you can do that in your books. I'm, I'm okay with sounding stupid. This is not my area of expertise. No, no, you're fine. But you, you can do that in your stories. Like uh, you can have the lower class language have all the swear words or something. Or to have different kinds of swear words because, I mean, rich people and poor people are going to swear about different things. Or mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's really fun, actually. Swear words are one of my favorite world building tools. But what are some things that authors mess up a whole lot with Kongling that make you uh, grit your teeth when you read, John? Oh, Boy, um, well, actually, usually when I see it, I'm mostly just very gratified that they took the time to try because that's uh, it's a hard thing to do. But the most common thing I see when I when it bothers me is either that it's just a cipher for English and you can tell where it's just like I just took English and I just put a different word for every word and it's like a one to one ratio. Mm-hmm. But like if you've ever tried to learn, I don't know, say Spanish, you know that uh, the the adjectives often actually go after the nouns, not always, but often that they're describing. So that's one thing where uh, a language will often have a different grammatical structure, at least how it surfaces, will seem different. They may not have prepositions the way we have, like in Japanese, they use particles to replace those. Uh, They may have grammatical case, so they may be able to say more things with fewer words, or or the word order might be freer. So there's a lot of freedom you have uh, artistically. In fact, Tolkien would uh, call language creation an artistic glottopoiesis, I believe is the term he used, an artistic endeavor that we can undertake, which he actually likened to like a a sacred thing. attempting to in some small way join with god in the act of creation is how he described it he saw it as a a very sacred thing that he was doing so if you're going to give authors advice on how to start doing this because it does sound kind of like a very involved thing where should people start okay well the first thing uh, i would recommend actually just kind of getting roughly familiar with another language like spanish for instance or pick a language you think is interesting you don't have to like know it or learn it but like kind of look it up check it out on wikipedia and see uh if you can find something about how the grammar works um i find it sometimes inspiring to look at real world languages and decide that I I want to uh, play with features. My cat's being very loud. (laughs) (laughs) I like to look at languages that I I admire in real life and try to like find cool features from them and see if I can, I can, I can kind of steal them. Uh, Another, I did want to throw in another uh, thing to watch out for once you have successfully before we get into like some cool resources once you have successfully gotten a conling how my cat is so loud it's trying to be part of the conversation and the fact that you don't understand him is your problem it's a sweet thing this cat child but the thing i want to caution against is what i call the dora the explorer effect where and i've seen this in like an otherwise great YA series where they decided they're going to include a conling. I won't name names, but um, you've put all this work into your conling. You you wanting to show it off, but it's like that TikTok meme. I don't know if you're ever on TikTok. I personally am but not, but I believe that's you. Cool. Where uh, you have the scene from Caillou, where it's like Sarah. Sarah was finally home. Caillou was very happy to see her, and then his friend Sarah says, "Caillou, ni hao. What?" And it's just super awkward. Or I saw this actually, I'm paraphrasing from another YA book, was like, hola, said Tim. What? Oh, sorry, Tim said, chagrined. Sometimes I accidentally switch to Spanish. I'm bilingual. This is not how bilingualism works. Like, (laughs) this isn't how it works with normal languages. So please don't do that with your conlang or find awkward ways to fit it in because it will distract me from the story and it'll pull me out of it. I would also say not naming names, but do not go to Google Translate and just translate something into to another language uh, and stick it into your book. Don't do that. That is a very dangerous thing to do. It has been done and printed by 
by uh, renowned presses. So <laughs> just don't do that. Not only, not only do you run the risk of it not being accurate, you run the risk of like some very unfortunate connotations being pulled in. Well, it's not just that. If you're writing in a fantasy world and then you just lift another language, like that's the ultimate cultural appropriation, isn't it? You're like, here, you guys can have Chinese. It's all yours, you know? Uh, with my French, then like maybe if I don't actually have any French text in the book, incidentally, but if I were to, I would try to find a French speaker to help me like, translate things. Oh, yes. But okay. So you've decided, huh, conlinks don't sound like my thing. That's totally cool. You don't need them. You can um, just describe other languages people speak. You can describe text that they can't translate. You don't actually need to come up with them. But if you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, that sounds cool. That's something I want to do. Well, I have some cool resources that I could uh, recommend for you. And we'll link um, in the show notes too. Yes, for sure. Uh, the first is actually a program that one of my grad school friends wrote, um, where if all you really want is just a bunch of exotic sounding words that are actually a one-to-one -one match to English words, he has a program where you just tell it what you want the syllables to sound like. You set some parameters and it'll just pump out 15,000 words for you. Hmm. The other is uh, maybe the more direct route. If you actually want to get into the nitty gritty and make a language from the ground up and you don't know anything about linguistics, no worries. There has been floating around the internet for some time uh, something called the Language Construction Kit, written by one Mark Rosenfelder. You can Google it right now; it's free, and I have the link here. It's been—I remember looking at this when I was a 14-year-old and trying to figure it out. Um, <sighs> it's a little easier as an adult, but he has great resources, and it's—it's it's very beginner-friendly. You don't have to have any special speciality in order to to decipher what he's writing. Awesome. Well, we will link to both of those. Any last thoughts, words, cautions? I'll just say conlanging is challenging, but very rewarding. There's nothing more fun than being able to insert a piece of text that you translated into a language that you constructed into your story and just look at it and have a little chef's kiss moment um, <laughs> congratulating yourself. And if you want to check out some real conlangs that people have made that you could learn if you wanted to invest the time and maybe even a little bit of extra work because some of them do require a little more fleshing out. Of course, we'd mentioned Tolkien, his Sindarin and Quenya and Kuzdul and Black Speech are all conlangs that he created for Middle Earth. Actually, more accurately, he created Middle Earth for the conlangs. He, the languages came first. Mm -hmm. Klingon in Star Trek is another great example. Navi from the Avatar series or... Esperanto, if you don't want something that's from a fantasy world, Esperanto was actually developed for real world use. Kind of this this utopian idea of a, an ideal language. It, it, I think it fails in a number of interesting ways, but it also succeeds in other interesting ways. So uh, if you want to check out some conlings, those are some good ones. We should probably wrap this up. Thank you so much for coming on the show, John. It was lovely to talk. I hope all of you guys start working on your conlings immediately, and we will see you next Do time. Farewell. Farewell.